1: Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Tyler Dello. Tyler, what's going on, man?
0: Not much, Dmitri. Are, are we here to talk about the big story?
1: The big story. What's the big story?
0: Chris Froome is going
1: to ride the Tour de France. You always do this, and I always. <laughs> at least it wasn't some <laughs> some random like pop culture reference from like the mid to the mid nineties or something that I don't understand. Yeah,
0: so. no, I've not. Yeah, no, I'm not that. But it is a big deal. Chris Froome's going to ride the Tour de France. He's going to go for his record time fifth. And you can see it on Sportsnet. So corporate synergy, Dimitri.
1: Corporate synergy. Um, yes, that's that's all the cycling we're going to do on this podcast. Although I remember last time we did it, I think it was like last summer we did a, a podcast together and you, I let you like do it for like two or three minutes. And there was a surprising number of people that were like actually excited that we talked about it. So.
0: Well, you know what? I feel like there's like a secret, there's like cool secret cycling slash hockey Twitter. And there's like 30 of us and we have a good time. And you know, whenever there's any cycling talk on a hockey podcast, people get excited. So, so I'm going to give my, my tour de France pick here, Richie Port. That's where I'm putting my money. All right. And for more, uh,
1: more cycling <laughs> chatter, uh, follow at dello hockey, not at dello cycling for some reason. <laughs>
0: Um, hey, I try, I'm trying to just expand Horizons, Dimitri.
1: Yes. Um, okay, so we are recording this on um, July 2nd. It's Monday evening. So we're going to try to uh, post it tomorrow morning. So if any, uh, there's still only a few guys really that haven't found new homes yet in free agency. Um, most of the top names have already gone off the market. So we can comfortably talk about that without fear of uh, of missing out on too much new, new late breaking news. Um, let's start with the Tavares stuff because I feel like um, that's what people want to hear about the most and it's the most relevant uh, topic or discussion point for us. So um, where are you at with this? Do you think, I mean, obviously these fans are very excited and Islanders fans are very demoralized and distraught and feeling all those negative emotions, but as sort of, you know, an unbiased party or someone who's in the media game or doesn't really have any ties to it, like, do you think this was ultimately a good resolution for the league in the grand scheme of things?
0: I think it is. I think it is for a couple of reasons. Like, first of all, you know, I think it's good that stars want to go to like markets where hockey matters. And, you know, I know that the Islanders have a fan base that, you know, loves the team and, you know, they're probably feeling pretty down right now. So I don't want to kick them or anything, but like, like it's just, it's bigger in Canada. And, you know, like John Tavares now, he's on one of the biggest stages or he's on he's on the biggest stage. And I think it's good for the league when like the, you know, big players are in big markets. And uh, I also think it's good for the league when, you know, players are, you know, and we'll see if this is a trend. But if if Tavares is like the first, you know, of a a group of players who's like, you know, I'm going to try and set myself up to win. I'm going to go and try and, you know, not, you know, it's almost It's like they're rewarding the Leafs for having done it the right way, right? Like the, you know, they're like, these guys are doing it well. I want to be a part of that program. I think that's good for the league because I think it kind of creates pressure on other teams to, you know, basically up their game. And so, you know, like it's the fact that this has happened, you know, when teams are doing long term planning now, like one of the things they can say is like, look, if we can put together a really good cheap young team you know, maybe we can go out and land our own John Taveras in, in a few years. And I think that's uh you know, that's a hell of an incentive for teams to kind of do what the Leafs did and do it properly. You're right.
1: It's always great to see a, a plucky upstart organization like the Toronto Maple Leafs finally have something go their way.
0: Well, but it doesn't just have to be the Maple Leafs, right? Like I'm sure we'll talk about the senators at some point, but like the senators, why? could do a why lot would of we a- talk about the senators? Well, I don't know. just, just, I, don't, but you get my point, right? Like, Like, you know, there's nothing there's nothing like it's not like it's not like Toronto is where they are now because they rained money on people. Like they certainly had resources that other teams don't have. But at the same time, you know, they made a lot of good bets and they were willing to suffer while at the same time not totally burning it down. And they got some lucky breaks. But, you know, like it's I don't know. Again, you look at you look at a team like Ottawa. To me, there's no reason that Ottawa couldn't pursue something similar. Right. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not they're competent enough to pull it off.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, obviously having money is one thing and that's a nice luxury, but actually it doesn't really ultimately mean much if you're wasting it and you're not actually optimizing it. I, I Listen, I feel bad for the Islanders fans because this was a pretty crappy way to sort of be dragged along and then left at the altar. It really felt like, you know, just following along with this in 2018 on Twitter throughout the whole thing, it like it's i feel like the process started off with optimism and then with each passing minute as we approach that deadline for them to sort of you know have pole position being able to offer the eighth year um as we approach that like you could just feel sort of the desperation start to slowly kick in and then realize what was happening and then him finally announcing it the day after it was it was pretty rough but i think you know any anger towards him and obviously whenever a player leaves um There's going to be a lot of vitriol online, but I think any anger towards him is misplaced. Obviously, it should be going towards uh, the people pulling the strings for the operation. I mean, it's remarkable that you know he was with the Islanders for nine seasons. They made the playoffs three times. They won they won one series and ten playoff games total. Like that's just staggering for someone who. You know generally across the industry is considered to be one of the best however many players in the league and especially at such an important position playing down the middle like the fact that they weren't able to surround him with enough talent to not even win a stanley cup or compete for it but just be a regular playoff contender is is really kind of says it all and you know listening to his press conference and reading some of the stuff i know like chris Johnston wrote about the leafs pitch and what happened behind the scenes and hearing him talk about the process Like, forget the hometown narrative for a second, I think, and it being the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think what what was clear to me was, like, you know, he's mentioning sort of the organizational hierarchy and the Marlies and them running stuff the right way and sort of realizing that, you know, being with the Leafs gives them a chance to compete for a cup next year, but also realistically for the duration of this contract. And I think that's what this boiled down to. So I can't, I understand why Islanders fans would be upset that he's no longer on their team, but... It's hard to fault him for making the decision because just from, you know, a purely hockey decision, uh, forgetting all the other factors, it does seem like it checks out for him.
0: Yep. No, I I agree with that. And it's, you know, it's it's funny. Um, I'd say the crazy thing is that, like, I actually like the way the Islanders draft. Like, I think that they're a pretty progressive team when it comes to drafting. I suspect that they're a team that pays attention to a lot of numbers and whatnot. Um, And like that Matt Barzal pick, that is such a home run uh like that is that is huge but they were just terrible at everything else for like the entire time they had them yeah. like really you know outside of trading for boy Chuck and letty it's just like hey we'll put these you know randoms with john you know with john taveras and see what happens it was just like uh you know it was it was just i don't know it just seemed to me to be rudderless other than we have john Tavares, and you know i don't know did you see that press release
1: yeah the one where uh Lou made note they, of individual performance rather than team success or something like that.
0: Individual success, yes. Individ- what do you think? Was that was that deliberate? Oh, I think so. I think with stuff like that, I mean, obviously,
1: you know, like the, the when LeBron James left the Cavs the first time and the Comic Sans letter and stuff like that, like obviously that's much less subtle, but I think all of these press yeah, releases, like there's, there's a message there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it.
0: That's I don't know. That's just like all due respect to the Islanders. But that's outrageous. Like they just you know, he's a great player. They really didn't put a lot around him. I think Barzal is a incredibly exciting player. Like um, like, God, he scored 85 points last year. Like So like they aren't bereft of things. And, you know, if I'm an Islanders fan, I really hope that the lesson that uh, I hope that the lesson that the franchise takes from this is that. You know, you can't just twiddle your thumbs forever. Mm. And, you know, when you get a chance and like, I'll be honest, like, I think Barzal is a special talent. Yeah. Um, and you know, he may he might not be quite Tavares class, although like he, he, he is obscene how good he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hopefully they don't, you know, hopefully they don't piss him away, too. Like that's, you know, that's really I think what you, what you have to hope for at this point. If you're an Islanders fan, it sucks that Tavares is gone, but they almost get a bit of a do over with a you know wildly talented young center and hopefully there's some lessons learned by the organization they do but at the same time just like you know based on
1: how um bad they've been for for this long of a stretch now like there's not nearly enough there to show for it right like obviously a guy like barzell is a great building block and i thought you know things really worked out for them at this this draft in particular where they had a few guys fall to them in the first round but like beyond that i mean based on how bad they've been and where they've been picking like there just isn't nearly enough, so I don't think that's. It is a bit of a saving grace because if Barzal wasn't there and if he didn't hit that home run, like then it would just be so incredibly bleak. But at the same time, like where they go from here is is tough, and if the early indications uh, aren't very promising, based on it felt like they had a certain amount of money they were looking to spend yesterday and when after when they realized they weren't getting Tavares they turned to Val Philpula and Leo Komarov and re-signing Thomas Hickey and it's like well that doesn't seem like it's a great alternative so I don't it's it's not great right now and I listen I, I don't blame Tavares for this because with all those teams that he was meeting with I really did feel like for the most part except for maybe Dallas like whichever one he picked would be a reasonable bet to be considered sort of a cup contender, or sort of on the fringe, at least. Whereas if you went back to the Islanders, you know, barring some remarkable changes that they could have pulled rabbits out of the hat, like they would have been a playoff contender again. Like, I, I just, you know, it just seems like it was the lo- obvious move for a guy who's signing a contract that's basically going to take him through the remainder of his productive seasons.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Like, and it's funny, like, I've seen the Sharks, and the one thing, you know, that really I had a hard time with with the Sharks is just that. You know, their core is so much older than Toronto's. And so if you're a player like him, um, you know, who's 20. So this contract will cover what, 20. Oh, gosh, okay, I'm blanking on his age now. What is he, 28? He's like
1: 20, yeah, 28, I think. So, yeah, into his yeah, mid 30s.
0: So yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this will take him through 28 to 36 or whatever, or 28, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like Toronto's got a much younger core of players than the sharks do and so if there's some age you know from his perspective if there's some age related decline at some point um you know the leafs are in a stronger position to to deal with that than the sharks would be so yeah no it's it's from a hockey perspective it seemed to me like it made a ton of sense
1: yeah um okay well let's get into that hockey perspective then so like stylistically um how this how the chess pieces fit here for the Leafs will be fascinating i mean when you have matthews taveras and cadre in some form down the middle it's pretty hard to mess it up but i don't like what do you what do you think the most logical um line combinations are there in terms of just like skill sets and what if you were running it like what the best way to optimize it would be would you keep nylander with with matthews and maybe go taveras and marner or do you, do you see a fit there or is it, is it one of those things where you could just basically put all the names into a blender and you can't really go wrong
0: uh, yeah, I think you can't go wrong. That said, Tavares and Marner seems to make sense to me. I was thinking a little bit about their power play. And if you watch the power play, because like the Leafs have to redo their power play anyway, right? Because of uh, JVR leaving. Mm-hmm. I hope that's not a spoiler for anybody about something we'll <laughs> later. Yeah. But um, so they have to redo their power play. And, um, you know, it, it struck me that when you look at the Islanders power play from last year, it was their main unit was Letty with... Uh, Barzal on the uh, on the left flank and um, Taveras on the uh, right flank. And so you got each of them sort of on their off wing. And Taveras did move around a lot. Like he had a lot of freedom to, to kind of float around within that. But you wonder whether or not the Leafs, you know, wouldn't be maybe copying that. Throw Marner in the Barzal spot, Taveras in the in the same spot. And then you've got Riley on the point and, uh, and then you can, you know, put probably Kadri in the, in the middle and, and one other guy. So, you know, I, to me, I, I think it's, you know, it's, you can really see a lot of ways he's going to fit. And, you know, what's exciting is you're replacing the uh, the Tyler Bozak line with the John Tavares line.
1: Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, not not it, bad. It's, yeah, and assuming, you know, Kadri's probably going to get, um, continue to get more of the sort of the defensive responsibility that basically, I mean, either Tavares or Matthews then will... Presumably, get to play quite a bit against like tertiary competition, especially uh, defense pairings. So, like that's also one of those things where, um, throughout his career, I imagine he didn't really get the luxury of that too much, just based on who was surrounding him on the Islanders. Like obviously, he got a bit of a reprieve last year uh, with Barzell being there, but for the most part, like it's there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of minutes for those guys to feast on uh, opposing defenses as well.
0: Oh sure, and this is. I don't know, this is controversial for reasons that escape me, but uh first line players play different competition than guys on the third line. Yes. And you know, so for the Leafs, if you go look who Tyler Bozak played last year and you contrast it with who Austin Matthews played or who John Taveras played, it's much different. And, you know, if the Leafs want, they get to divide up those Bozak minutes between um, you know, Tavares and Matthews this year. So so to me, like that's gonna be really interesting to see. You don't usually see a mismatch like that in the NHL where a team has that kind of depth that, hey, your third pair is going to have to eat some time against, you know, Matthews or Tavares. Like that's that's going to be a real a real challenge, I think, for for teams that are trying to to beat the Leafs.
1: Well, yeah, obviously, you know, the quality of competition is the one component. And then you get into the quality of teammates discussion as well that goes ties into that. And it's like. I don't know. I, I I have to go back and look at the list, but I feel like whether it's Matt, whether it's Marner or Nylander or who who have you, like there's a real strong argument to be made that that player is going to be the most skilled linemate Tavares has ever really played with, right? Like it's like what's yeah. the, what's the list? It's like Matt Molson, P. A. Parento, Josh Bailey, like Kyle Okposo. Like with all due respect to those guys, it's a lot of guys who sort of got paid just because they played a lot with Tavares and produced in those minutes, but otherwise haven't had much success in the league without him. So I'm, I'm,
0: they they played with Tavares, they had success and then Buffalo paid them. That's (laughs) the the formula here.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's as an unbiased observer, I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Now, something I was thinking about was, you know, just looking around the league, um, a lot of the teams that we consider contenders um, heading into July 1st didn't necessarily, I don't think, improve that much. Um, you know, for most of those teams, it's like they're pretty cash after at this point because if you're very good, chances are you're already paying a lot of good players a lot of money, so you don't have too much wiggle room. But, you know, just going up and down the list and it's like the Bruins who I think you know they obviously beat the Leafs in round one and would be considered to be one of their main challengers in the Atlantic like their big addition was adding John Moore to a weird contract like the Lightning just extended Ryan McDonough and we can get into that a bit later but they didn't necessarily add anyone to kind of help boost them up a bit more so you go on and down the list and it's a lot of teams either kind of stood pat or even got a bit worse whereas the Leafs are the one kind of clear obvious team that got significantly better yesterday
0: yeah no i think that's a i think that's a legitimate point uh I think it's hard to get better in free agency right just because right. like it's you know it's a place to find complementary players and like frankly you know it's basically it's a place where if you're getting into a bidding war for a player, you're probably not gonna do well mm-hmm. so uh, you know like it's it's you know so in Toronto's case you know they went out and got a guy who's a legitimate first line center. I just, I, I, that's not the norm for free agency historically in the NHL. Although, you know, hopefully that, that changes, but yeah, no, I I think the Leafs took a huge step forward. I'm not sure anybody else did.
1: So what do you, what do you think about the fact that uh, they're currently listed as the favorites for the 2018 19 Stanley Cup?
0: Uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's, you know, do I do what I, would they be number one on my list? I'm not sure they would be. At the same time, um, you know, the league's wide open these days. Um, and, you know, so, so and when you factor in that, you know, maybe you think Winnipeg's better, but who's going to draw more action from the casual better, right? Winnipeg or, or the Leafs. And, you know, when you factor that in, it doesn't really surprise me. You know, I think Toronto is probably you have to have them on the list of teams now that could win the cup next year. Um, you know, they're maybe not quite a number one for me, but they're certainly up there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well it makes sense. Obviously people are pretty excited and betting odds generally work and sort of they want to get as much action as possible and people are jumping on that. So yeah, I don't know. It's uh it's gonna be fun. I'm really excited to watch them. I know that. Um I know that's not necessarily a, a hot take or a bunch of uh well informed analysis, but I'm I, I think that they were incredibly fun to watch before and now adding Tavares, it adds a whole new wrinkle that's gonna I'm gonna to try to watch pretty much every single one of their games next season.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it's gonna be fantastic to watch. Like there's so much I'm excited to see next year about Toronto. Um, and like, you know, like the matchup thing I think is just going to be unbelievable. Like you don't get to see a Tavares or a Matthews, you know, getting significant minutes against third pairs and Toronto's going to be able to do that next year. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
1: Mm. Okay. Um, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, which we will uh, put in after the fact. I know you love pointing out when we uh, come back from break that, i didn't actually do the read while we were on the call but uh we're gonna take a quick break here and then we um we'll talk about some of the other signings and the ryan o'reilly trade and all that good stuff on the other end of things let's chat about SeatGeek today's sponsor the hockey pdo cast anyone that's had to buy tickets before in the past online knows that it can be a complicated and confusing experience but there's a better way to buy and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek's the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift for someone in your life, SeatGeek's going to help you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. And they'll do so um, using this color-coded map that lays out all of the available options to you, um, so it's really user-friendly. And honestly, it'll only take you a couple minutes, and then you check out, and you're pretty much good to go to the game. Um you know there's no hockey or basketball on right now but baseball season's in full effect concert season's in full effect then honestly um you know with the nhl schedule now out um if you're a fan of the leafs and you're living in toronto you can start getting excited about the john Tavares era by looking up some leafs tickets for next fall or if you are likewise a canucks fan in vancouver you can start getting excited about the JB era and, and looking for uh dirt cheap tickets for canucks games as well um best of all Regardless of whether you're a Leafs or Canucks fan, you're my listener, and that means you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, let's get back to Tyler Dello and the Hockey PDO cast. And we're back. Uh, The magic of podcasting.
0: What were you selling? Uh,
1: SeatGeek. Um, They've been a loyal sponsor of the podcast, so hopefully... uh, if you're going to any concerts or any uh, baseball games or anything this summer. Um, hopefully, you SeatGeek you can use the promo code PDO. Uh, let's talk a bit about the Ryan this Ro- is,
0: this is why This is why you don't want to talk about the Tour de France because there's no seats. Exactly, yeah. It's just all, anyone can just stand there. So that's what this is. This is SeatGeek shutting down an exciting discussion even though it's a fine product. It's all about
1: the money, man. Like, unlike John Tavares, I can't be taking hometown discounts here and less money. Like, I'm, I'm wh- whoever can pay me, I'm going to sign there. So, uh, All right, well,
0: you speak, then. Help Dimitri out. So so what's up next? (laughs)
1: Um, So we're going to talk about Ryan O'Reilly. Right. So for those that missed it, it was basically Patrick Berglund, Vlad Saborka, uh, Tage Thompson, who the Blues took 26th and 2016, and next year's first, and a 2021 second rounder. Um, What were your thoughts on this trade? I have... I've given it probably way too much thought, um, as I do with this stuff. And ultimately, uh, there's more important things to think about in life. But I've have I've been crunching uh, it from every angle since it broke. So uh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it.
0: I like Tage Thompson throwing bombs at the uh, at the Blues. I thought that was cool.
1: Hmm. Yeah, on you my, know, on so my list know, I, I... on my list of uh, where the Blues season went wrong last year, uh, Tage Thompson not getting enough uh respect and responsibility and opportunities was very low on the list
0: <laughs> yeah no I, I that was good that was very very nba up the uh, you know up the animosity entertainment value of the product i don't know what did i think about it um i didn't really think buffalo got much back to be honest and particularly when you factor in that they're taking berglund and sabatka and like they're guys but they're guys who cost money And I don't know, maybe like we'll see what Buffalo does, if they're going to spin them off or keep them. But, you know, I I don't really understand where Buffalo thinks they're at with their rebuild. And, you know, I don't like selling guys after a terrible year all around. Like Ryan O'Reilly, I think, is better than what we've seen in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with selling guys after years like this is you just get taken to the cleaners. And, you know, it's hard to get better losing trades.
1: Yeah, well... I mean it's interesting because obviously they're still they still see themselves as in that sort of uh asset accruing phase and sort of still part of the early stages of the rebuild, although I'm sure um their fans aren't very excited to hear that. Um but like I I, I like the perspective of, you know, they're getting as many kicks as they can as they can and they got a bunch of assets here, but it doesn't really seem like any of them are super premium assets. Like that blues pick i think the blues will be a contender to make the playoffs and that could be sort of in the early 20s now i know that if the sharks also make the playoffs the sabers are going to have three first rounders so potentially you could get creative there and maybe make a package and move up and get something in that regard but like it's just from from the blues perspective um like they got a really good player here uh they didn't really take on any extra money um yeah. like O'Reilly's contract runs longer but at least for the next two seasons Sobotka and Berglund come out to like 7.35 on the cap and O'Reilly's 7.5 by himself so like it seems like a perfectly reasonable bet for them to make there and and like I said they didn't really give up any premium assets like I, I'm i not a huge prospect guy but I know that people are very high on guys like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and a few other guys they've drafted over the years and they didn't really have to give up any of those guys to significantly improve their main roster so it's kind of a slam dunk for st louis and especially after you know i was thinking the past two years uh they were an interesting team because of the deadline they were on that sort of playoff precipice and they traded away shattenkirk two years ago and then stasny this year for picks and it was a very uncharacteristic move for a team that could make the playoffs to be a seller but they were sort of thinking ahead and now they cashed in some of those uh you know draft capital chips to make this trade. So I think for for Blues fans it's it's pretty exciting that they're actually kind of working on going for it now a bit and sort of improving their main roster as opposed to con- consistently just pushing it back and waiting waiting a few years.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Like, you know, one of my one of my things with the NHL is, you know, when you get a world-class player, you can't just be waiting for tomorrow forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, St. Louis has been doing that for a while with Tarasenko and um you know it's it's i I like to see teams being aggressive when they're in that situation so no i i like it for the blues i like the philosophy that central division is an abattoir though
1: yeah yeah it's gonna be tough that's what i was saying like when i was talking about that pick and where it's gonna be in the first round i was like oh they're obviously gonna be a playoff team i like their team on paper but then i was thinking about that central division and it's like very conceivable that they could miss out just because it's gonna be an absolute slugfest
0: oh sure like you know winnipeg and nashville i think you have to you can probably write in with a pen and then it's going to be a knife fight for the final two or three spots
1: yeah well for the sabers like it's it's weird because it just it felt like they didn't have a lot of leverage just because it seemed like they were so committed to getting rid of ryan o'reilly which was interesting to me because like coming back with him on their roster next year would be perfectly fine if i was running that team but it seemed like for whatever reason they sort of backed themselves within this corner and then with that deadline for a signing bonus coming up as well it's like the market was sort of limited to i presume just based on the reports we'd heard like the Habs for some reason were really interested and in the sharks after they missed out on Tavares, but otherwise like the list of teams that would have been in the hunt for ryan o'reilly in this case were very limited so like from that perspective i guess they got a decent return but the alternative of just standing pat and going into the season with Ryan O'Reilly on your roster seems like it would have been a more appealing option, all things considered.
0: Yeah. Like for me, I look at Buffalo and a huge part of their problem is they can't score. And I, you know, with them, I almost think it's a tactical thing and I'd rather, you know, and maybe they've done this, like, you know, we don't know what they've done, but if I was them, I would be engaged in a massive product or project to try and figure out if our team does something differently that is preventing us from generating quality chances at five on five. Uh, because, you know, it, it almost seems to me like it has to be the case. And if that's right, but and like even like Jack Eichel, like what is like Jack Eichel's like on ice shooting percentage has been horrible for most of his career. I believe I'm sort of speaking off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that that's, that's a bit of a knock on him. So, you know, in that case, I think it's bigger than just one player. And when you start moving out players to deal with that, I think you can get yourself into a bad spot pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, it'd be very interesting to see how uh, O'Reilly does next year and how Berglund does and how Sabaka does. Uh, And then we'll see if Tage Thompson's anything. Like, he was always a strength player to me when he played uh, college. Like, he scored in the power play a lot his draft year, but not in other situations. So, I don't know. It's, uh, It's, we'll see. We'll see how Buffalo does. But at some point, they have to turn the corner, you would think.
1: Well, I imagine like Mike Yo is pretty excited now, obviously. He gets O'Reilly, and they went and spent some money on Perron and Tyler Bozak, and all of a sudden there's some interesting ways they could go about filling out their, their forward depth chart. Like You mentioned how O'Reilly's going to do next season. I imagine if he plays with Tarasenko and Schwartz up front, he'll do very, very well. And himself, as a sort of a playmaker, getting the puck to those guys would make a ton of sense. But yeah. at the same time, like they really sort of got way more out of Brayden Shen than I thought they could last year playing in those minutes and I wonder if maybe the, the better like positive value added perspective would be to just play O'Reilly with I don't know a guy like Alex Dean presuming he can stay healthy and have those guys soak up a bit more of a lawyer into minutes I don't know it's it's I'll be curious to see how that plays out because I imagine like O'Reilly's been one of those players where I had a few people because I noted that I was very high on him yesterday, and a lot of a lot of people came back to me and they were like, "What am I missing here?" You know, he doesn't obviously put up a huge counting stats. I was like, "Well, just look at who he's sort of played with and his deployment, and it makes sense that he's provided a bunch of value in more subtle ways than just." You know, putting the puck in the net just based on the circumstances he's played in. So obviously, if he gets to pass the puck to a, to a Vlad Tarasenko next season, I could see him just putting up a a boatload of assists, and all of a sudden, people being like, "Oh, well, Ryan O'Reilly, what a fantastic player!"
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 a strange one for me, and you know, we'll see where Buffalo's going, but I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around what they're doing. Mm. Uh, it's it's that's a team that's got some distance to go, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, I imagine. Sabres fans are still probably pretty excited about Rasmus Dalin so I feel like uh even if they're not too happy with this trade it's still it's still been a good summer for them.
0: Yep, yep. No, that's that's true. that's true. They've uh they've had a pretty good uh, couple of weeks.
1: So my next note here on uh on our talking points is uh bad teams showed us yesterday why they're bad. Um and I think that was uh I didn't add much more than that. I wrote these notes yesterday, but I think i was alluding to the canucks so let's talk about uh whatever the hell they did yesterday because it was uh it was a quagmire all right it was a very uh very interesting uh set of decisions that they made just throwing a bunch of money and more importantly uh a bunch of term to jay beagle and antoine roussel continuing uh, uh you know you mentioned how uh was it yeah you you mentioned i don't know if it was the islanders or sabers but i guess both apply kind of the rudderless directionless uh team building philosophies they've had uh, for the Canucks that would uh, apply as well, because for a team that's been really, really bad and deeply uh, entrenched in the rebuilding phase, they don't really seem to grasp where they're at organizationally with some of these moves.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible to me what they're doing. Like I I don't, you know, and I, I sort of wrote this at the athletic and maybe I wasn't clear enough, but like when you're a team in Vancouver's position, like, Really, you should just be offering one year deals to free agents and whoever will take your one year deals. Those that's who you get. And, you know, like it's one thing if you can get a Tavares fine, you know, go nuts. But, you know, like like Jay Beagle is not a building block. Antoine Roussel is not a building block. Your team is going to stink next year, whether you have those players or not. Uh, Those players are going to age and decline over the next few years. So even if, you know, the Canucks plan comes to fruition and they get good they're still going to have these players then who are sort of have declined because they, you know, they signed them to multi-year deals now. Like, you know, why not say to the, you know, the free agents say, look, you know, whoever wants a one-year deal, come talk to us. And, you know, we've only got so many one-year deals to hand out, but we're prepared to, you know, pay a little more to do it. Um, And then you're in a position where, you know, you can trade them at the trade deadline if there's interest. Um, And, but just really, you're not sort of walked into these players as, as they go along. Like, you know, Vancouver should want to get the 2020 version of Jay, Jay Beagle if they need a Jay Beagle. They don't, you know, like whoever he is in 2020, not not the current edition, but just older. Um, so I, I just I don't understand the thinking. Like I don't understand like is there a meeting in Vancouver where they went on, went around the room. And they're like, you know, how much better does Jay Beagle make us next year? And someone was like, oh, we're a playoff team with him, and we're a seventy point team without. Like it's just it it, it baffles me that they would that they would do this. And like the attrition rate on those guys is brutal. And so I I don't understand the thinking. I don't understand what they're doing. It's just it's just it's strange. It's very strange stuff.
1: I like that uh you are one of the few people in this world that is like as viscerally upset by some of the decisions this team makes as as I am. Um I <laughs> I'm not sure what would be a more more alarming uh, reality if you know moves like this, you could kind of look at it from two perspectives. One is they're basically just signaling like we are not planning on being good over the next couple of years, and that's why we're going to give Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel four years and Sam Gagne three years, and we're just trying to fill out its roster and sort of have NHL players filling these spots, and you know we're going to take our time. Or if they actually believe that... You know the Jay Beagles of the world are going to come in and turn this thing around with their culture-changing attitude and stuff. Like I, I guess the latter would be more concerning because then that's just pure, um, you know, lack of personnel evaluation. But both are very troubling if you're a fan of this team because, you know, they had a positive draft and people are excited about some of the guys they took. But just all of their main roster moves just suggest that there isn't really much of a plan and they can't really think ahead beyond what's happening this season. And that's very alarming when you're building out an NHL team.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't, you know, I, it's, let's say, I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. I don't know what they think. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't understand it at all. I understand, like, I can understand the idea of wanting to sort of insulate your younger players and wanting to have players around who can do the dirty work. I get all that. Um, I, that makes a ton of sense to me but I don't get is, uh, is, is, you know, like signing these guys for term Like, you know, it's, it's almost to me like, it's like you have to earn earn the right to do that. And when you're a bad team, like, you know, you say, who can we get on a one year deal? And, and, and that's, I don't understand why the Canucks aren't doing that. Like, it's just, it's unfathomable to me. Well,
1: the way the Canucks run the team is, I think like this Benning Linden regime would have worked better Like before the internet, because they say stuff sometimes that it feels like they're not aware of the fact that people can, you know, find old quotes they've said online or fact check stuff. So like, you know, they made a made a point of saying that they're you know this was the market for these guys or in past instances where they haven't been able to trade players or get value for them, they're like oh there's no market for that and it's like it just it's insane to me that they suggested that the market for jay beagle was a four-year deal because i'd be very curious to know a who they were competing against and b you see some of the other contracts that are signed and like other than i guess what the islanders did by giving leo komarov uh four years it's a lot of these guys were going for one or two seasons that are you know either equivalent or even better options so like it just felt like they were kind of bidding against themselves which leads me to believe honestly that they genuinely do believe that you know, in their pro scout meetings, assuming they do even have pro scouts, that they think that Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel are going to be the difference between what they were last season and being a much better team. And I just, I think that's flawed logic.
0: Well, I, I almost wonder, like, I, I wonder, like, do they know that, like, like, I don't know, like do they know, you know, sort of generally what kind of contracts in terms of length guys like Jay Beagle will get or, or did they, because, and I was thinking about this too, like, can you think of any guys like sort of fourth line guys who penalty kill who got four year deals recently, like in their thirties? Like Matt well, Hendricks or Leo Komarov for me. Yeah, okay, Leo Komar. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> but but other than that, like Matt Hendricks. You remember when Nashville signed Matt Hendricks and Eric Nyström?
1: Yeah, how'd that work out for them?
0: Yeah, they traded Hendricks, you know, and and you know, and there's there's you know things to like. Well, Matt is a ho- Matt Hendricks is a hockey player, mm-hmm. but but he was they traded within you know a few months, and as I recall, I think they just ended up buying out nice Or he went on waivers, or like it was it was, and I I can't think of any like four year deals for players like this in their thirties. It's can you like I, I i'm like I'm like you know and i'm gonna I'm gonna look into this because I'm like, who does this yeah it
1: it really does feel like uh you know the, the, this this regime is just kind of on its own island where they're not like communicating with the rest of the hockey world, so they're just like operating in their own headspace. it's like, oh yeah, sure yeah j b yeah. he, he just won a cup, he should go for uh four years, let's bring him in and uh lock this down, and it's like, no, just feel the market, like talk to other executives see what's going on in the past like look at recent history like there's no need to do this and you know we're beating up on the canucks here but i thought some of these other teams too like the red wings oh, for think, example
0: i think it's fine on the canucks. i i just i i don't understand what they're like i don't know i i you know and and like 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 i get the idea that, you know you can't have a team of like 23 19 year olds i get that but you know you need to draw limits for yourself and, you know, they haven't done it. So, I don't know. We'll see what they do this year. But my prediction is they're a bad team and they've got these guys signed for, for quite some time. And they'll find they're difficult to move if they want to.
1: Well, the best part to me here is like I don't have it up in front of me right now, but I believe it was like a one year, like $600,000 deal or something like that. But, you know, so the Canucks post Jay Beagle from the Capitals and the Capitals go out and just take Nick Dowd, who was on the Canucks last year for that one year, $600,000 deal. And I, I, I'm very curious. I think he's probably going to be on their fourth line next year. I'm, I'm very curious to see what the uh, difference in production between those two guys is. Cause I imagine it will not be that high. And it's just, you know, it's just a great example of, uh, among other things, why certain teams are in the position that they are. But like, listen, like the Canucks, the Red Wings, like it's certain stuff. Like, why are you signing Jonathan Bernier to a three year deal If you're the Red Wings, like what, what is your plan? I know you tweeted about this and I think it's a great point. Like how, if you're the GM of these teams and you're pitching the owner on signing these paychecks, like what, what's the end game? That's the thing I always come back to. Like the Blackhawks is a great example as well. You know, they bring in Cam Ward and Chris Kunitz, I guess those are one-year deals, but like who had a meeting where they were like, let's sign Brandon Manning to two years, five million. And then what was their logic for where that's ultimately going to get them?
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I have a hard time. You know, it's, you know, I think the salary, and Dimitri, a lot of this comes back to the NHL salary structure, which I think is all screwed up. Um, you know, the NHL salary structure is, you know, I, I think basically middle class guys make too much money. And, you know, so if you're a team that's a contender, uh, fine, you know, you have to live with that. But if you're a team that's just rebuilding, like, why, why, why get into that game? You know, like those guys, you know, they're not, they're not like, is. you know, maybe you spend a bunch of money and you go from 73 to 78 points. Like, what's the point? And that's really where, you know, like, like, you know, the Canucks are out lavishing money on Jay Beagle and uh, Antoine Roussel. Do either of them play defense? And, like, I appreciate that there were no defensemen out there, but, like, boys, keep your powder dry, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, maybe it's one of those things where, you know, we typically surround ourselves with certain like-minded individuals in terms of, like, Twitter and who we talk to on a daily basis. So maybe it's not an accurate representation of the fan base some of these teams are appealing to. Like, I'm sure there's people in Vancouver um, that are very excited that the Canucks got J. Beagle. And it's quite possible that this you know the the gm is trying to elicit some sort of a reaction like that and people are like oh yeah like jane beagle's gonna come in it's gonna be great antoine roussel i'm excited i'm excited you know the red wings brought back thomas vanek and have mike green like yeah that's great like so maybe it's quite possible that you know we are uh a minority that's actually thinking about this stuff from a bigger picture uh perspective as opposed to just being excited that our favorite team is doing something and has a press release to tweet out there
0: well, I guess. But I don't even yeah, I don't know. Do yeah I'd love to know, you know, if teams have done any research on that and whether or not uh the Jay Beagles of the world sell tickets. I I I can't believe he does. I I can't believe you know, and obviously, you know, people like you and me are in a are in a uh you know, you're in a bubble 'cause you know, you you tend to talk to people who think about being the same way as you, but I just, I don't understand, you know, that I can't believe that anybody is, you know, th- and like, I like Antoine Roussel as a player, but I don't think he's bringing buzz to the market.
1: No, no, definitely so. not. No, I don't you know. The, the Antoine Roussel jerseys are not flying off of, uh, off the shelves at, at Rogers Arena. I I, I feel comfortable saying that. Um, okay. Enough about that. I right think, honestly, what? It's depressing me. What, what is it? Uh,
0: did you like, uh, Thomas Vanek getting a no trade? I thought it was funny.
1: I thought like I like the uh, I like the comedic comedic aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, and listen, it was only a one year deal, and he was a perfectly fine, productive player last year. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. Like if they gave Thomas Mannick a three year deal, I'd be like, why are you Why are you doing that? But you know what? It's hard to get too upset about that one.
0: I don't know, but like when you brought back Tyler, is it Tyler Mott? Is that how you say his name? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, for the Canucks. Yeah, yeah,
0: like when that was the return yeah at the last trade deadline like doesn't he kind of come with a de facto no trade at this point
1: yeah but like, that, that leads
0: teams me, aren't be trade.
1: i don't know about that i think that leads me to believe honestly just based on the market we see at the trade deadline that the canucks are just really bad at that stuff and talking to other gms because i you and i actually did a show right after the trade deadline and we discussed this at length but like i still find it impossible to believe that a team wasn't going to give them a third or fourth round pick for Thomas Vanek. And he was perfectly productive for the Columbus last year. I know they lost in the round one, but it's like, I, I think the Red Wings will be able to get something more than you see expiring contract and whatever Tyler Mott is, um, for Thomas Vanek, assuming he's still a productive, like 20 ish goal scorer next year for them.
0: Yeah. It's funny. eh? Like I'm making my little jokes, but he had 56 points last year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. know, like, he was fine. Honestly, like I watched a lot of him in Vancouver, um, like, he did really well. Brock Besser seemed to really like him, and I do think there's a bit of value to that. And he was perfectly fine in Columbus. Like, there's much worse players that we've talked about on the show that got uh, more term and more money than him. So, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's a perfectly fine one. but
0: Well, no, I, and I will agree with you, Dimitri. Like, like that is, to me, what teams like Detroit should be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, year deals, one-year deals. And you just you can't be getting tied to guys like this and, you know, Detroit at least got it right with Vanek. you know, Vancouver had, uh, some other things going on. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, enough about Vancouver. Let's talk about, uh, would you rather start with, uh, JVR or James Neal or Paul Stastny? I'll give you your pick of those three for which ones we talk about first. Ah, uh, let's talk about JVR. All right, let's do it. Um, I know you're a big, uh, you're all about the power play. Yeah. Uh, oh, power
0: plays are interesting.
1: Yeah, I think you talk more and do more uh, articles and research on power plays than anyone out there. So, I'm curious because I know uh we sort of had a similar uh initial reaction to this and it was sort of what does this mean for the future of Wayne Simmons in Philadelphia? Cuz it does seem like that's a bit of a skill overlap in terms of what those two guys do best, which is hang out in front of the net and kill it on the power play.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because who do you think is a better player five on five? Like who 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 do you prefer?
1: assuming simmons is healthy i would say wayne simmons really um, yeah i do think he has more more utility I, it's weird like last year obviously his numbers were off and i think a lot of that was like i believe he got injured in training camp or something and needed surgery and for some reason played through it all year and it sort of didn't line up with the rest of his recent career so i don't know like they're comparable but i don't know you you value jvr a lot more than him
0: um yeah i don't know i i Simmons is always kind of, I've been eh, with him at, at five on five. Like, obviously he's a, you know, he's a monster on the power play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's, it's crazy. Like when you look at like, the leading power play goal scorers of the decade, yeah. like, you know, it's like a Vechkin yeah. and then Simmons. And like, he is a, he is a legitimate, you know, superstar when it comes to scoring goals on the power play. Um, so it, it's weird to me that they would bring in a guy whose skill set overlaps with that in, in JBR. So I'll be interested to see what happens. I do like Simmons. I think he's a really good penalty killer. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was kind of a surprise to learn. Like, it's kind of funny, eh? Like, L.A. trades into Philly. At that point, he wasn't really a power play guy. Philly sort of, like, experiments with him on the power play, and it's like, oh, this guy's a huge stud on the power play. And then a few years later, they're like, huh, I wonder if he can kill penalties. And actually, it turns out he's pretty good at that, too. So it's it's a very interesting thing to me. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens with, with Simmons, because to me, it seems like Philadelphia plans to move on
1: which i don't blame them for considering the fact that you know he's either he's getting into his 30s if he's not there already and he has one year left on his deal right so it's and just based on his sort of player and body type like i i would not want to be on the hook for giving him a long-term deal in free agency when he hits it next summer so it seems like this yeah. is a bit of insurance there i mean at five-on-five five, it makes perfect sense like you can bump simmons down to the third line i think van reams Just thinking about him as a player, like he is—he is a bit one-dimensional. Fortunately, that one dimension is a very useful one when when it comes to playing hockey. But like, I think he'll—I think he'll fit in with a guy like Jake Voracek, for example, seamlessly because what Voracek does incredibly well is carry the puck through the neutral zone and act as a playmaker in the offensive zone and. I think van reamsdyke is sort of like when you get into that offensive zone he's a monster i don't really see what else he brings to the table outside of that offensive zone so putting him with a guy like that i think will be really able to optimize his skill set like if you just look at how toronto used him for example i don't think it's an accident that he was so productive last year when he was playing some very carefully uh very carefully massaged minutes by uh mike Babcock. let's say that
0: yeah. No, I, I I buy that. He's, um, and, but it's interesting, right? Like to me, like, you know, guys like that are, are flawed players. But at the same time, if you can put them with people who can take advantage of them, um, I think you can kind of really extract some value there. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to me to see what Philadelphia does to get value out of JVR at five on five
1: yeah me as well um and what happens with wayne simmons whether it means he's moving or whether they're just going to play this out and see what happens next summer but i think like i said assuming he's healthy heading into next year um i love him as a player and he'll be a very valuable contributor to them um the james neal one uh so he's he's turning 31 and he just got a five-year deal which is obviously um alarming at the same time um you know last year i feel like we were really clamoring for the flames to get a player with his skill set to play in their top six when you know their underlying numbers are really good but the results weren't there because of some of the players they were using and I felt like man they really could have used the james neal type now obviously with the five-year price tag it's a bit rich but i don't know like i think he assuming he doesn't fall off a clip immediately i think that he helps the flames quite a bit especially from that uh, perspective of like matching skill sets with some of their guys in the top two lines.
0: Yeah. Well, Calgary really needs to find a way. Pardon me. My boy. Sure. Hey, hey, what
1: are you, what's going on?
0: No, no, no. Hey, I was up at six o'clock riding my bike, Dimitri, and it's a billion degrees here. So okay. I'm, uh, I'm tired. Um, no, I think Calgary needs to find a way to, uh, to, you know, turn some of the big possession from the backland line into goals mm-hmm. and they didn't do it last year. So, You know, it's it's and this goes back to the JVR thing, right, in terms of, you know, putting guys in positions where their skill set complements the skill sets of others. And I wonder if Neil will be a good fit with those guys because they can move, you know, say, you know, say he's playing with Kachuk and uh, and backline, you know, he can move the, the they can. They seem able to drive possession. Can he help take advantage of that and put bucks in that?
1: I like that a lot. I, 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 That was sort of my first thought as well, because I think the natural inclination is to be like, oh, you know, he's, especially with Ferland gone, James Neal could be playing with uh, Goudreau and Monaghan on the top line. But I actually, like, I like Michael Froley quite a bit as a player, but he is just such a disaster when it comes to Shooting percentage and actually converting some of those opportunities. And if guys like Kachuk, especially who's a great playmaker and Backland, uh, who are both possession monsters, will have the puck that frequently in the offensive zone, have it pair them with a guy who can actually convert those chances into goals seems like a, a foolproof strategy. So I'm all for it. I think this is, I guess it's just this is like sort of the price of doing business in free agency. That's why you said at the top, good teams typically aren't the ones who are uh, making big changes at this time of year because. You will have to pay that premium and that tax, and you're going to generally get into the uncomfortable spot of giving a James Neal a contract into his mid-30s when you don't think he's going to age that well into them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Which is why I was surprised to see that Paul Stasny only got three years. I thought he was a candidate to really um, not get overpaid, but get too many years tacked onto the end of his deal. Uh, You know, he's turning 33, I believe, this year, and after... he's
0: He's no Jay Beagle
1: well it's 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 true he really is no james james beagle um yeah it's it's especially after Tavares went off the board like he was very clearly the the best center available and with teams looking for a guy like that i thought he could get more but listen like three years 6.5 per seems to make sense and for the gold knights he slots in as that second center and that they could really use now i know they lost perron and neil but I'm okay with them walking away from them. Like, what do, you, what, what do you think about that fit of Stasny on the on the Knights? And are you surprised that both he didn't get more and that the Jets didn't put up more of a fight to retain him based on how good he looked at, to close the year for them last year?
0: Eh, I don't know. The Jets are going to have some salary cap issues over the next little while. Um, like, they got a lot of guys who are going to get paid, they got Blake Wheeler to deal with. I, I think the Jets are just, you know, you can't pay everybody. And, um, you know, so I, I don't hate that from Winnipeg's perspective. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how he does from, um, from the perspective of the, uh, of the Golden Knights, just because they aren't, um, you know, like if you look at their team last year, the first line was really the big producer of five on five value. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see if Stastny at this stage, stage of his career can, can drive a second line and be a positive value contributor. I think that, you know, that's, you know, we'll see if he can do it. That's a tall, that's a tall task. Like, you know, he had a good year in Winnipeg, but he was also able to play down the, the lineup.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It helps playing with, uh, with Nick Ehlers and Patrick Line. I'm sure that'll make a bunch of guys look good. Um, no, yeah, you're right. I think, okay. The one final note I want to make here before we get out of here is, oh, well, there's a couple. Okay. Let's go through this. Um, the class of defensemen you mentioned before that it was, it was bleak. I mean, it's I think that was an understatement, but I guess we'll see where Calvin DeHaan signs. But like beyond that, I mean, good Lord, the Jack Johnson contract was uh, I'm glad it happened because the dialogue between the back and forth between Yarmulke Colliden and Jim Rutherford and John Terrell kind of chiming in was uh, made for great theater. And the NHL could use
0: more of that. But we went you know through. it. what's this- funny. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, I think sometimes hockey people, they phrase things or they use expressions that they don't, they don't sort of have entirely a firm grasp of. Mm. Like there was somebody this year who said that Ron, Ron Francis didn't think critically. It was after he got fired. He wasn't a critical thinker. Mm-hmm. And like that's a, that's a pretty that's, – that's rough talk where I'm from. Yeah. And I think the guy just kind of misunderstood the expression and didn't realize how vicious it was. Mm. And, uh, you know, like Johnson said that he was excited to be part of a winning culture or something. And that obviously set off Tortorella. And, you know, I read Johnson's explanation. I just I honestly think he didn't really consider how that might be perceived by, uh, you know, his former club in, in Columbus. And, you know, there's there's other examples. of this. So it's just I just thought that was kind of a funny thing that basically I think Johnson, I don't think he was intending to, to throw bombs. And it was funny, eh? like Rutherford you see Rutherford kind of declined comment after Tortorella unloaded on him. And I I think, I think he was like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said what I said. So I'm just going to eat this. Right. So I don't know. I thought it was a very interesting, uh, fiasco.
1: But when a team makes a decision like this, um, like giving five years to a Jack Johnson, um, and there's so much sort of pushback online from the hockey community, wondering like, you know, what, I've watched Jack Johnson, I've looked at his underlying data, I, I don't think he's worth that, and then, you know, I, I don't know if Jim Rutherford, sort of reading between the lines of his comments, was like similar to, maybe on a lesser scale, but similar to what Steve Eiserman did with Dan Girardi last year, where it was kind of like that, you know, black box internal data argument, where it's like, clearly the Penguins believe that Jack Johnson is a much better player than we think he is, and I do it's that's always an interesting uh, interesting stance for, for teams to take. Do you because...
0: really? Yeah, you know what, though? I feel like sometimes when you have a team that has, like, Sid and Gino, it just distorts your perception. Because they're like, well, I'm sure, you know, internally, it would not surprise me in the least in one of those meetings if someone was like, well, Trevor Daly couldn't play for Chicago and he came here and he was great for us. And it's just like, yeah, you guys have Sid and Gino and Chicago. You know, they have great players, but you know uh those two are pretty special and it wouldn't surprise me if they sort of talk themselves into it on the same basis um you know well you know bring him here it'll be like trevor daly uh and, and it's just you know i don't know maybe it works maybe it doesn't but boy five years uh for a guy who couldn't get into a playoff game um or if he did like he certainly was a healthy scratch for some of them hmm. uh that's that's pretty steep. well it
1: is and I, i'm very curious um like what they would I'd I'd love to have a honest give him some truth serum and have an honest discussion about this because like I've watched Jack Johnson the past couple of years like beyond just the underlying numbers which are obviously very poor. Like I I just you know with certain players you can sort of see the eye test appeal and you can go like okay well I can see myself talking myself into this player, you know, in the right circumstances playing with different players. Maybe he could thrive. It just like at this point of his career, beyond where he was drafted and sort of the dra- and the name pedigree of him throughout his uh tenure in nhl like what i'd be curious to know what the physical aspects of jack johnson's game that people who are still fans of it see and go like you know there's a good player in there because i just it just seems like kind of like a replacement level guy that we wouldn't necessarily be caring about too much if he got a reasonable one or two year deal for like a, a million or two but just because of the Sort of specifics of this, we're getting into this whole debate all over again, and I just I don't know. Maybe we're maybe we're all we're all coming out on the losing end of it. It's nothing really to gain from it.
0: I think there's two things there. I think first of all, um you know, he is by all accounts like the kind of guy you want to have on a team from sort of an intangibles perspective. He's a Jay Beagle. Fan. Like he's a hard. Yeah, he's, he's Jay Beagle. He's a hard worker. He's you know like he, he sets a good example. Um, you know, he, he sounds to me like, like, you know, like he's, he's, he's a good, a good team player. Mm -hmm. And I think teams value that. Um, I also think like, you know, he does like, you know, it's it's someone, I was talking to someone in hockey and what he said to me was, you know, he skates great, you know, he plays hard and he's like a moose in front of the net And, you know, that's kind of what a lot of people see when they play hockey (laughs) or when they're, when they're scouting hockey players. And, and it's just. You know, it's with him, it's, it's, I, I think it's maybe just as simple as that. Like he, you know, he looks like he's doing stuff out there mm. and he's a, uh, you know, a, a good teammate and, and, you know, and then the kind of guy teams want to have around and, and, you know, that, that may well explain it.
1: He's certainly doing stuff when he's out there chasing the puck because he never has it on a stick. Yeah. It's uh when you say uh, he's a moose in front of the net, that's like the most Canadian quote I think I've ever heard. <laughs> he's like, a moose. Yeah, in front of the no, net. It's,
0: it's He's a moose in front of the net, eh? Yeah, yeah, no, he's a pretty pretty, pretty Canadian quote. So, so I don't know. Like, it's it's one of those things. Is it going to kill Pittsburgh? No. But, you know, if he's not very good and he's eating up, you know, that money, it squeezes him a little bit.
1: Well, don't you think it also, there is, uh, you know, you were saying how having Malkin and Crosby can kind of distort your perception of stuff. And I think there is a bit of probably hubris involved as well where it's like especially when they go and you know they get justin schultz for example and he does pretty well on their team like i i I do think for some of these teams there's probably an element involved where it's like you know we've had this happen before we can probably get another guy from a different situation he'll do just way better on our team because we believe in our team that much and playing with crosby and malkin (laughs) he very well might but it's it just seems like it's not probably the best most optimal way to do business
0: yeah yeah no it's I don't know. It's, it's you know, those teams that have those kind of players, they can get away with some things.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so to wrap this up, what are, are there any other dominoes are waiting to fall? Like, you know, the UFA is available. There's nothing really of note. Um, it feels like we're sort of waiting, obviously on a potential Carlson trade, but it does also feel like the Sharks after missing out on Tavares and Ryan O'Reilly, um, they retained some of their guys here this summer, but it seems like they're still kind of itching to, get in on the festivities and bring someone else in on the roster so like is is there anything else beyond that that you're sort of kind of looking to see in this transaction period that could be of note beyond you know routine signings and ahl depth guys and stuff like that
0: well i don't know who do you think the sharks can go get
1: uh, i don't know that's a good that's a good one there aren't too many like i don't know like revisit the max patch or anything i guess it doesn't really help them down the middle but it does seem like they're very eager to to spend some more money and improve their team heading into next year. Like they really are. Even if Patrick is walked as a free agent, it feels like they're really all in on this current core. So I don't know, something like that maybe. Yeah,
0: it's it's funny, eh? Like to contrast them with the uh, with the Islanders. Like the Islanders don't get Tavares, and they're like, all right, let's go to Plan B. And it's like Val Filippula and and you know, like they're just they're just like you know Leo Komarov shooting money around whereas you know you're right there does seem to be a perception the sharks are going to maybe try to aim a little bit higher um so you know i, I think that probably makes sense um, the carlson thing is is fascinating to me you know where does he go I, I don't know if you saw there was a story in an ottawa paper that kind of was it was crazy It was one of those stories you read where you're like is this like an ownership plant um because it was sort of hypothesizing that you know, maybe Carlson's wife was kind of, you know, shooting some poison back at, at Hoffman's partner. And maybe there's some wives who don't like her and maybe they need to get rid of Carlson too, to really clean things up. And I was just like, I was really, I'm like, this is weird. So, you know, like that to me seems like it's going to happen. And it's just a matter of, you know, when and where,
1: I mean, it seems inevitable that they will wind up in this trade. Um, prioritizing shedding bobby ryan's salary in instead of trying to get the best package in return and um you know i tweeted this but i i really think it can't be overstated how um you know pathetic and shameful that is for an organization to be trading a a generational player his prime who's the face of your franchise uh in a clear money dump like that is it's sad and I feel bad for Ottawa Senators fans and I guess the only saving grace is it could be one step closer to an ownership change down the road and I guess that's ultimately uh you know losing a battle to win the war, but it's it's pretty bleak right now in the present day.
0: You know what's weird for me about this? Like, is Bobby Ryan that bad?
1: I mean no no. Well obviously based on the money he's making, yes, like relatively speaking, but Okay
0: you know you'd rather not be paying him you know seven million. Seven and i think it's more i think it's like <laughs> seven and a quarter seven and a half you know i think you'd rather not pay him that i can live with that but you know his season last year and like i was actually looking at this because i was like you know what's what's up with bobby ryan his season wasn't that awful from a you know from a rate staff perspective um i'm just pulling this up now so i feel like uh i can't say the guy's name because he works for another network but uh let me just pull this up. Yeah, like, here, here we go, Dimitri. How many points per 60 at 5-on-5 five five do you think Bobby Ryan scored last year?
1: Oh, uh, five on 5 points per 60? Um, yeah. Is it comically low or surprisingly high?
0: What, why, don't, why don't you give me a guess just, just based on your sense, based on how Bobby Ryan is talked about.
1: I don't even I don't even know what like a reasonable ballpark would be for 515 points for 60 that's so so niche. Um I don't know, let's say like 1.7. Yeah,
0: 2.1. So like like here he is 2.1. The year before that 1.4. Okay, that stinks. But then 1. 1.8, 1. 1.9, 2.2, 2.1, 2.1, 2.4. So it's like like I can understand that Ottawa wants to get out from under the Bobby the Bobby Ryan contract just cuz it's a lot of money to pay. He's getting older. You know, now the one thing that is a little spooky is his shot rate has kind of declined a lot. Right. And it was down again last year. But, you know, it's not like the senators are generating, you know, I don't know that that I find a little worrisome. So so there I would be like, yeah. you. But other than that, I'm like, the guy's a good the guy's still a product. He, he's still producing at five on five. Now, the time may come where that ceases. But I find it strange that Ottawa is so desperate to shove him out the door that they would, you know, basically treat him like he has negative value. Um, and he may well because of the contract. Uh, he does have negative value because of the contract. But it, it's, it's not like he's like, I don't know, Marion Gabryk or something, you know?
1: Well, and that's the thing. I I, I, I agree with you, but I don't I, find it strange just when you think of it from the perspective of like, they want to get out from that money, not because they want to use it more wisely on a different player. Like they just don't want to be paying those his paychecks. So that's like they're not they're not worried about about an on ice perspective or bettering their team and that's why it's upsetting if you're a fan or even a follower of this league like it's i think it's kind of shameful that an nhl team is operating that way in 2018
0: yeah no i completely agree with that it's uh it's 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 it's, i don't know it's strange now at the same time like it's disappointing right like i'd love to see the ottawa centers be like you know fine we're gonna be like the sort of scrappy team that tries to be smart and you know we're gonna try and find a better way to do it like like, I, you know, like I'd love to see the senators be like, OK, you know, we should maybe be cashing guys in after six years and we're going to avoid, you know, basically any UFA years like, you know, try and be creative. But it's like it's sort of like when you hear them, when you hear it sort of discussed, like Eugene Melnick apparently doesn't want to spend money on, on payroll. And it, like it doesn't sound like they're going to be clever or anything about it. It's just like, no, we're just not going to pay people and hope we make the final. Like, it's just it just sounds asinine. And it's, it's, it's disheartening because. You know, Ottawa's uh you know, it's a good hockey city. And, you know, people can get behind kind of a plucky team like that, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, it's, it's as you know, friends of mine used to say, it's one thing to cheer for a poor team, it's another thing to cheer for a you know, a poor team that makes poor decisions. Yeah. And you kind of that's what they are right now.
1: Yeah. Oh well. Um all right, Tyler, let's uh let's get out of here. What are you uh what are you working on? What do you want to plug? Um I know you wrote quite a bit around the uh, free agency moves. Are you working on some other stuff?
0: Yeah, I'll have some other free agency stuff. Um, you know, uh hopefully writing over to Carlson Trade here in the next few days and then uh we'll see what the summer we'll see what the summer brings. It's uh it's all at the Athletic. Uh you should be able to find a discount code somewhere if you're interested in getting on board. If you can't, uh you know, shoot me a a, a tweet and I will ensure that you are hooked up. Awesome.
1: Well, I recommend that and um enjoy the uh enjoy cycling season.
0: Thank you, Dimitri. Tour de France. Sportsnet. Get excited.
1: All right, man. We'll chat soon.
0: Have a good one. Thanks, bud. Yeah, cheers.
1: The Hockey Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at DimFilipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.